0: Hello and welcome to the Praise Center sermon of the week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit praisecenteronline.com. Even if you're not going back to school yourself, if you're past that age, and uh, but there isn't there, don't you feel like this time of year that there's something ingrained into us, right? That that kind of we feel like. Uh, it's time to better ourselves, get more. You know what I'm saying? Do you, do you all feel that way too? I think I feel like every fall when this comes around, it's like, okay, the goofing off time is done. It's time to get serious. You know what I'm saying? And just get after it. And I think that that's, that becomes ingrained into us over years and years of going. And I, 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 and there's something that stimulates us in the fall season, I think, to grow and to learn and to move to the next level in our lives. And, and I believe God is already doing that in our church. If you were here two weeks ago, uh, Rhonda preached on uh, prayer, and man, we had a time of prayer like we haven't had in a long time here it was so powerful after church and last week I spoke on worship and uh and I felt like the worship time that we man it just felt like everything just took a step up and I just want to keep that going. I want to keep that spirit going. I want us to open up our hearts and continue to move into and may God we have to allow the word of God to penetrate our hearts and and make a difference so we can make a difference in life. So my title today is Back to School and the subtitle is Make a Difference. Amen? All right, so we're going to ask we're going to ask a question and answer it through the uh, message today. But what does it take to make a difference in our generation? And I do believe that for, the answer is the same for every generation. Uh, maybe the the uh, way that we go about it and the you know the, the the terminology sometimes changes, but the the path is still the same. And and in fact, I think we have one of the greatest examples through the life of Noah of somebody who made <laughs> did he make a difference in his generation? I mean, come on. And so uh, so we're going to look at him and kind of look at some things that God says about him and uh, see how maybe we can apply that to our lives. So picking up our text in Genesis 6 verse 1, we'll read through verse 9. Here we go. It says, when human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. And The Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. I think that's Kind of interesting that uh, I think the statistic is that only one in a billion people lives to the age of 120 or greater, and that God said that all the way back, you know, thousands of years ago, that that's, there was going to be a limitation. Before that, people were living to 900 years old and, uh, and longer. Methuselah lived to 969, he was the oldest ever recorded. And then, then it goes on, though, and it says something about some uh, really scary big dudes. Uh, verse 4 The Nephilim, that's who I'm talking about, were on the earth in those days, and also Afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old men of renown. Um, the, if you go into the further into the Old Testament, you see that uh, remember Goliath, everybody remember Goliath, okay, and he had some brothers that were uh, really a bit tall too, somewhere in the vicinity, at least nine feet, maybe nine and a half feet um, this to us almost seems absurd, but the, there's a connection between the, the, the people of Goliath's time and, and his family, excuse me, his family line, back to these Nephilim. Um, uh, we don't know how that all works out. The, the genetics must have carried through Noah because obviously there's going to be a big flood and there's only one family. But somehow the, you know, the, the genetics carried through, and at least to that time, at the time of David, there were still a few of these really huge uh, men around that were, uh, were just men of renown. They're called heroes, not necessarily in a good sense. Many times it was in a negative sense. And then, uh, so verse 5, then the Lord saw the great wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and every, in- every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That's a pretty damning statement there, isn't it? That's just tough. I mean, like everything. But then there's, uh, thank God, there's a corner turned in verse 6. The Lord regretted, excuse me, after that. But uh, I'm sorry, all the way down to 8. But uh, the Lord regretted that he made human beings on the earth. His heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I'll wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created. And with them, uh, the animals, the birds and creatures move along the ground for I regret that I've made him. Here comes a corner. Sorry, I jumped in too early. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Aren't you glad for favor today? Hallelujah. Do you know, I just want to tell you today that in Christ, you have found favor in the Lord today. If you're here today and you have Jesus Christ, you found the same kind of favor that Noah found. And so it says uh, in verse 9, and this is going to be our main text to launch from today, it says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man. Everybody say righteous blameless, everybody say blameless, Blameless. among the people of his time, and he, say the last four words with me, walked faithfully with God. Different versions might read a little different, but he walked faithfully with God. So these three things are going to be the primary things we're going to hit, and then a surprise secret uh, fourth point will be coming later, but I'll save that, all right? So we're going to talk about uh, righteousness today. Being blameless and then walking with God in faithfulness, and uh, and that those are the things that set Noah apart in his generation. But I want to. Encourage us; it'll do the same for us in our generation, for the people around us. Do you believe that today? Let's pray, God. Thank you for your word and these these incredible uh, things that we read. That are I hesitate to even use the word stories, as if it's just uh, fantasy or something. It's not that, Lord. It's truth. But even wrapped up in the the story of Noah is these these incredible truths that carry forward now thousands and thousands of years to the time that we are in right now, and they're still meaningful to us today. And so God, but, but it, it doesn't mean anything unless your Holy Spirit breathes that life into us as we study it, as we look at it today. So I pray that everyone here will have ears to hear what you are saying to your church today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, I became a believer uh, between my freshman and sophomore years of high school. uh, During that time, we moved from, uh, in that summer of that year, we moved from Boston, or a little small town north of Boston, Massachusetts, all the way out to a little small town in uh, southern Oregon called Winston. It's next to Roseburg. If you don't know where that is, it's south of Eugene, okay? And if you don't know where that is, well, then you need a geography lesson. No, I'm just kidding. So... um, anyway, I, I, somehow, when I, by the time I got to high school, I had, um, and I think it was a lot of it, I've talked about this before, but a lot of it had to do with shame that I felt and de- maybe some early depression in my life. I don't know how to explain it, but by the time I got to high school, and another thing was we moved, almost every year I was in a different school. And so I, I got to high school my sophomore year, I almost had zero friends, um, you know, Pretty much nobody uh, hung out with me. I was pretty much becoming... And the more I got that way, the worse it got. You know what I'm saying? You get... You get it kind of compounds. It snowballs. And so the, the, the worse I felt about the lack of friends, the more, you know, sullen I was and the more... You understand what I'm saying? And pretty soon, nobody... I don't blame them. Looking back, I think, why would anybody have wanted to be around me at that time? I was acting all depressed and miserable and, and uh, you know, but I didn't have the Lord. So, so then... Um, so then, uh, again, I moved to Oregon and uh, receive, hear the gospel, under, you know, under, in an understandable way. As a 15 year old, I just turned 15, and uh, you know, within a short amount of time after hearing the gospel, I said, "That's for me. I got to have that." And so I gave my life to Jesus. It was fantastic, and so, so, um, and and a real, I realized that that I have been spared from an eternity without God, meaning I've been spared from hell. Hell is a real place people. And I'll tell you, it, it, there, there was something about that moment when I got saved where I just, uh, I, I had a stark realization, almost a vision of hell to where I knew what I'd been saved from. And it shook me. It just shook me. I realized hell is real. I was going there. It's like, you, oh, you, you ever been really close to a car accident? You know what I'm saying? And, and like, oh man, that was, you know, in that adrenaline rush. That's how I felt the night I got saved. Because it came to me that I was just, barely, you know, what if, what if my life had diverged slightly a different way and I hadn't received Christ? I mean, it was unthinkable to me at that moment, but the reality of that came to me, but along with that, I began to realize all of the people in my, and I did have some friends, but had moved away by the time I was a, uh, a freshman in high school, so I kept in touch through letters. I know some of you young people have no idea what that is, but anyway, that's how we, how we communicated back in the dark ages. So so I communicate, but, but all of a sudden I started thinking about Leslie. I started thinking about Artie. I started thinking about other family members. I started thinking about just people I didn't even know, and I thought, nobody can go to hell. This isn't right. This should not be happening, you know? And it kind of, something hit me. I got I to gotta tell them, and I didn't know. So I go into my sophomore year of high school, um, and so as this on fire, radically changed, deeply grateful to God, Christian dork, there's just no other way to say it. I mean, I was just a total Christian dork. Um, you know, before Jesus, uh, occasionally, my mom and my stepdad, who did drugs, um, thank God she got saved on the same night I got saved and didn't do drugs anymore, but, but anyway, they would do drugs, they'd smoke pot and do hash and different stuff, and, and so every, every once in a while, they would take me down toward Boston, there was this little C D X uh, part of town, and they'd go to something called a head shop. Does anybody know what a head shop is? Okay, you'd all look at me like, what's a head shop? Well, anyway, I, nobody responded. Are you all too pure to know what a head shop is? Is it just old terminology? Okay, I've got one guy in the back. Gee, thanks, Rich. A little encouragement. Come on. So anyway, head shop. Uh, y- y- number Now, we've got to understand, some, some things like grass and marijuana, they've been legalized in certain ways and different things. But, uh, but in those days, they were strictly illegal. And yet, there was this shop that we would go to where they sold all this drug paraphernalia. Right, All this like like roach clips and um w- w- weird things and fun- funky lights, black lights were a big thing in the you know '60s, and, <laughs> and so we would, I would go in and I'd be ooh, ooh and on uh, and around, and, and even in my young uh, pre-Christian mind, I was thinking if something doesn't connect here. This stuff is all supposed to be illegal, and yet they're selling everything to be able to use it except the stuff itself, right? It's like, you know, even an unchristian, unsaved, you know, 10-year-old kid is going, this is stupid. Like, who, why do they allow a store like this? It didn't make sense to me. And uh, so anyway, but so what happened was is that that was kind of my pre-Christ times. Now I became to become a Christian. My aunt takes me to my first Christian bookstore, which was just as weird in a different way. Okay. You're tracking with me, like what is this place? And it was even more so back then. They were really weird, but but one of the things that the Christian bookstore. So again, in my mind, my young Christian mind, I'm thinking I got to tell people about Jesus. And we walk into the Christian bookstore, and they had these just great big buttons that had a pin on the back, right? And so yeah, like that, right? You see that? And and so these are like some of the ones that I had. I mean, they were huge. And so I thought, yeah. I'm in. So I bought a bunch of these buttons, okay? And every day I went to school, as a sophomore, I walked into the school with one of these buttons on me, okay? Every day. And, uh, you know, so, so like, no, there's no like easing into high school, making a few friends first before I turned into a dork. I just went in full dork, okay? <laughs> and uh, I also had a... Uh, uh, you know, back then, uh, you see a lot of graphic tees today, it wasn't that common, uh, especially uh, ones that would have a Christian theme on them, and pretty much the only one you could get, and I had, mine was powder blue color, but it looks like this shirt right here, it was it just said, one way Jesus on it, man, I wore that shirt till it just could walk by itself, it stunk so bad, I mean, I just like, every day, I would wear that shirt with the buttons, and, and, you know, and, and so, you know, there was no doubt from the moment I walked into my sophomore year, that, uh, and I, I had, it was, I didn't know how to witness i didn't know how to tell people about jesus but i figured at least maybe this would start the conversation and and but understand that that i didn't go in intending to be a dork i intended to to help people that didn't know christ to come to christ do you understand what i'm saying it was so important to me i was a terrible witness i had no idea how to tell other people about jesus i like rooted by the way it helps us to learn how to do that better but um I told this poor Catholic girl. I remember talking to her, and and if you're Catholic, please don't misunderstand. I'm not. I I, I don't. You know. Let's talk this through a little bit. But but uh, but anyway, I told this Catholic girl in my sophomore year that she was going to hell. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> I feel so stupid about it now. You know. I mean, it's not my proudest moment to be sure. Well, by the time I was a senior, everybody knew that I was a Christian. So much so that in our high school, and not only was I dorky, but I went to a dorky high school. Um, so in our dorky high school, uh, every month as seniors were voted boy and girl of the month. They don't do this anymore, do they? Like in the senior, do they? They still do this? That's crazy. Well, I bet they don't do this because, uh, <laughs> so, so anyway, the boy and the girl, like in October you had Mr. and Ms. Leadership. Uh, in other months you'd have Mr. and Ms. Talent or Leadership or Athletic, but in November... The, the senior class would vote for who they thought was shining the light of Jesus the most, though they wouldn't have put it in those terms. They used the term reverence. Here I am in my yearbook with Pam Marsh, Mr. and Mrs. Reverence. I know it's a terrible photo. It was a terrible yearbook too, but... And I know you don't recognize me because there was hair involved. And it's horrible photography because of the shadow, but that's me. So, but what my point is, is that even through all my dorkiness, even through all my ridiculousness and not knowing what I was doing, by the time I'm a senior, people knew who I belonged to. And they knew what I stood for. And, um, and, I, and, and, and so you might be sitting there thinking, well, I don't, I don't like how you witnessed to people in high school. I didn't like your methods. Well, tell me about your methods and what you did. Okay. Just let, maybe you got better ideas. Maybe we can help train these young people how to do it. I don't know, but all I know is the word has to get out somehow. In our text today, we read about the longevity of human beings and some guys that were very tall and, and come from questionable origin. Uh, we'll save that again for some other time, but, but between evil men that lived too long and very scary large dudes, uh, the earth had become a mess, And God saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of his thoughts was only evil all the time. And it isn't living over 900 years and to a great physical size that will make a difference in our lives, uh, the lives of our family or others around us. It's Jesus Christ. Specifically, it's Jesus Christ in us. So Noah stands out in contrast against these times. And I guess that's really where I'm going with this is I want us to stand out in contrast of the times around us. Again, verse 9 describes he's different because he's righteous, he's blameless, he walked faithfully with God. We can be instruments of salvation to our friends and relatives and co-workers, fellow students, if we will do the same. So let's just talk through those three things and then a surprise extra point. Aren't you excited for that? Okay. Be righteous. Let's talk about that. Be righteous. Righteousness or righteous means a conformity, listen, to an ethical or moral standard, having to do with living by God's standards and pleasing God. So living by God's standard is right. Now, righteousness means, again, living right before God. We see that our attempts to do that in our own strength are just a waste of time, ultimately. In fact, Isaiah the prophet will say, uh, you know, in, in his book, obviously, he says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Our righteousness. So we are in trouble right from the get-go. We, God is saying you need to be righteous, and then we do our very best and our righteousness is as filthy rags. We're at a roadblock. We can't, the only solution for us, the only way we can become righteous, which God is requiring of us, is if someone steps in and becomes righteousness for us, and that's where Jesus shows up. And when we receive Jesus, we die to who we used to be. Christ lives in us. Now, I'm going to show you quickly three verses. Listen to this, how Jesus becomes our righteousness. It says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Who, let me go back, in Christ Jesus. Everybody say that. In Christ Jesus. Who has become for us the wisdom of God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. He's become our righteousness in us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. He'd never sinned, but he became sin. He took all of our sins upon him so that in him we might become, here it is again, the righteousness of God. And then Philippians 3.9, and be, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Are you getting that? So, so I'm just. Get, and one way I'm making this as easy as I can for you. You're worried about being righteous, you know, being right before God, being, being uh, able to stand before Him. Jesus takes care of that. All we got to do is be in Christ and have Him in us. That's it. And, and, and so you say, well, what about our behavior? That will flow out of a life that's, that's what He talks about when He talks about the vine and the branches. Remain in me, abide in me. Just abide in Him. You'll bear fruit. It'll come about. You'll be all right. Don't worry about it. The behavior flows out of who He's made us to be, the righteousness of God. Jesus tells us in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You think, well, what does that mean? Am I, okay, am I, you know, and again we start to think, well, that means I should really hunger and thirst for doing right all the time. You're failing again when you start thinking that way. What, who is our righteousness? Christ. Somebody got it. Thank you over here. Now, let me ask you again, who's our righteousness? Right. Christ is our righteousness. So when Jesus says, hunger and thirst for righteousness, you getting it? Okay. He's saying, hunger and thirst for me. I don't say this to brag and in any way. I really don't. But, and don't, don't quote to me, you know, that you should fast in secret, because there are secret fasts. But if, if never anybody told you about fasts that they did, we wouldn't even know that Jesus fasted. So let's just get that off the table. Back in, uh, back in the 2003, I think it was, I felt led of the Lord to ask the church to go on a 21-day fast. And I felt led specifically uh, to go on a completely liquid uh, fast. So I didn't eat any solid food for 21 days. Um, and so again, I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just, I just need you to know that, that when the last day came, we decided, uh, there were four of us that decided to go without any solid foods. One guy, though, he was cheating because he was taking Happy Meals and blending them. And... Uh, to me, that doesn't count. But uh, I think he did that once, and it tasted like vomit, and he stopped. So, um, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Anyway, so so 21 days, no solid food. Uh, And we we knew that you don't want to finish a fast like that by going in and eating a big old roast or a steak. You can't be eating meat at a time like that. It would just rip your guts completely out. So you have to come back off your fast slowly with with vegetables, roughage, and maybe something like potatoes, things like that. And so that's what we did. And uh, we we planned our meal. And we, you know, towards the end, we're all like dreaming what this is going to taste like. And we, we had this incredible fresh green salad that night with, with an incredible uh, vinaigrette dressing on it. And then we went and had some of the best garlic mashed potatoes. And then we had some fresh bread with some butter on it. Let me tell you, when you haven't eaten anything solid for that long, and all of a sudden you set that stuff, in, I'm to tell you the smell of that food was like nothing you've ever smelled before. I, there was fragrances coming out of all of that stuff that I thought, why doesn't food usually smell like this? You know, it smells good. I'm not, don't get me wrong, but it was amazing. And I was blown away. And, and then you put the first bite in your mouth of that, of that salad and the, and the taste and the flavor. Everything about it seemed 10 times better than I'd ever experienced before in my life. And I think when we, again, say hunger and thirst, that's what comes to my mind. I was so hungry. I was so hungry. But I want to I be like that for Jesus, don't you? I want to be so hungry for Him that, that being in His presence and having worship with other saints isn't like something we're going through rote, but it's all of a sudden I just walked in and there's a fragrance in the air that's like, oh, can you smell that? That's the fragrance of the aroma of the worship of God's people. Woo, that is good, good, good. I can't wait to get the full meal deal here, right? So this is what I'm talking about with righteousness. Jesus is really saying, hunger for me. Hunger for me. And your actions will also be righteous. Second thing is live blameless. Living by God's standards in the sight of man is really what this is saying. In the New Testament, blameless means that there's nothing to get a hold of. You translate the Greek word for blameless. It means it, like you're grasping for something as if you're going to you know be able to pull it off course or do something. And you can't get a hold of it. You're just slipping away. It's like, and I love the thought of that. You can't get a hold, there's nothing, you can't get a hold of somebody who's blameless in a, in a negative way like that. Grasping, but trying to get a hold of something, nothing substantial there to get a hold of. It's like when Pilate said uh, at Jesus' uh, trial, and he says, I, I find no, no reason, uh, uh, I found no gu- in him no guilt, or I found no guilt in him. It's the same thing. It's like there's, there's nothing. And again, you think, well, how could that be true? I know my own guilt. No, listen, we just sang about this morning, that shame is gone, that guilt is gone. In Christ, you are blameless, okay? You are blameless. But, but let, me, let me process this a little bit differently than righteousness, because though we are blameless, uh, oftentimes, how many know our behavior is like, oh, sometimes not so much? And, and, and so I, I want to ask us to, like, why give someone else, especially someone who doesn't know the Lord, an opportunity? Because our behavior, uh, you know, they're going to find fault with us in some way. I love, I love this uh, Story, I, I heard it years ago, I, uh, read it online, but one man writes this. He says, I was sitting at a stoplight this morning. The lady in front of me was going through papers on the seat of her car. The light changed to green. She didn't obey its command. A green light is a commandment, not a suggestion. Amen? <laughs> when the light had turned red, she still had not moved. I began with my windows up, screaming and beating on my steering wheel. My expressions of distress were interrupted by a policeman, gun drawn, tapping on my window. Against my protestations of, you can't arrest me for hollering in my car, he ordered me into the back seat of his. After two hours in a holding cell, the arresting officer advised me I was free to go. I said, I knew you couldn't hold me or arrest me for yelling in my own car. You haven't heard the last of this. The officer replied, I didn't arrest you for shouting in your car. I was directly behind you at the light. I saw you screaming and beating your steering wheel, and I said to myself, what a jerk but there's nothing I can do to him for throwing a fit in his own car. Then I noticed a cross hanging from your rearview mirror, bright yellow Choose Life license tag, and the Jesus is coming soon bumper sticker and the fish symbol. And I thought, you must have stolen the car. (laughs) Listen, people are going to have enough reasons to be offended with us as it is. We shouldn't really give them fuel for their fire, don't you think? Smith Wigglesworth, we have this quote up on the screen great uh, revivalist from the uh, early 1900s. But he wrote, listen, this is like, think about this. He died in 47. I don't know exactly what year this quote comes from, but, but picture life as you remember it or, or read about it, let's say, nobody here would remember it, but back in the, you know, in the 30s and 40s probably. Uh, and, uh, but this is what he writes. He says, the reason the world is not seeing Jesus is that Christian people are not filled with Jesus. They're satisfied with attending meetings weekly, reading the Bible occasionally, and praying sometimes. It is an awful thing for me to see people who profess to be Christians, lifeless, powerless, and in a place where their lives are so parallel to unbelievers that it's difficult to tell which place they are in, whether in the flesh or in the spirit. I think if poor Smith Wigglesworth were raised from the dead and alive today and looked around, he would be appalled. He would be aghast. He would have thought that that compared to what he had seen in those days, that, that the church was, was in so much trouble. But I don't believe that she is. I believe there's always hope for the church. There has to be. Because the gates of hell will never prevail against God's church. I love this verse from Philippians. Uh, well, I don't love it. It's kind of a love-hate relationship. Philippians two fourteen fifteen. 15. So do everything without complaining or arguing. Right off the bat, man, I'm in trouble. I was talking to Lonnie about it as we were out golfing. And that's like one of my golfing and complaining for me go hand in hand. <laughs> they just do, and I hit a shot, and it's terrible, and I... I. I I realize why they invented cussing now. I do. I you know, I try not to ever do that out there, but I'm not sure I'm completely successful. No, I, I don't remember cussing, but I've been close a couple times because you think, oh, how can it be? And I'm like, Ugh. and so I was telling a lot this week. I said I'm going to try really hard to golf without complaining. And I caught myself a few times being right on the verge. And so I got, I'm just going to keep that. But, but, you know, I just want to say to you, what would it be like? What would it be like this next week? I, I just, what would it be like if we all just didn't complain? Can you, can you think about that? Like, how can we remind ourselves and remind each other? I'll tell you what. If, if you'll remind me, if you hear me complaining, if you'll stop me, I'll be glad to stop you too. Fair? Maybe you should turn to your spouse right now and just say, hey, let's do this for each other this week. Come on. If you don't have a spouse, turn to a friend, find somebody. But just like, hey, help me stop complaining. If you hear me complain this week, tell me to shut it down. Because he says, do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become, here's the word, blameless and pure children of God, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. All right. So we're, we're righteous Living, this is living pure in the presence of God, and we're blameless. This is living pure in the presence of man. Got it? Third thing, walk faithfully with God. Walk faithfully with God. Back in Genesis 5, that's pretty much a boring chapter. I mean, I might get in trouble with God for saying a hey, part of the Bible is boring, but, you know, the genealogies are really hard to read, and that's what you got is just lists of people and names. But, but in the middle of all that, there's just this little little spot in there and it mentions a man named Enoch and it says that he became the father to Methuselah whose name by the way means uh when uh he dies it will come he died the exact year the flood came by the way and uh but but going back to Enoch now when when he it says that at least by age 65 he had figured out and it says he walked with God and then he lived for 300 years more beyond that and at age 365 it just says God came down took him home that's it He couldn't stand to be away from Enoch any longer. He wanted Enoch right there with him. I think this is so amazing and so profound. It says in Genesis 5.24, Enoch walked with God, then he was no more. And you would normally think, well, he died. But then it says, because God took him away. By the way, don't think God took him away means God killed him, because that isn't what God does. God doesn't kill people. And when people say, and and please forgive me if you, you know, this is going out on a limb here, but if you... um, the ter- just be careful about your terminology. If you say, well, God took my mom, right? Listen, that's not God's business. God does God, how can the author of life bring death, okay? What God did for my mom when she died is he received her. Yeah, he received her. He was not the author of her death, you know. Death comes, who comes to steal and kill and destroy? Who comes to kill? It's the devil. So it may just be semantics and terminology, but I want us to get our thinking straight about God. He's not the author of death. He's the author of life. He didn't take my mom. He doesn't take any of our loved ones. He receives them gladly, right? And if that's what we mean when we say God took them, then then that's okay. But it might be good for us to change our terminology so that we get that straight in our hearts and heads. And for other people around us to know that God's not that kind of God. Because what do you say to a little child who somebody says, well, God took your mama to heaven? you see where I'm going with this? It may just seem like semantics or terminology until you put it in a situation like that and you go, that's horrific. How can she grow up and love God and be a follower of God if he comes and steals the person that's most precious to her in her whole life? Okay, so that's why it's important we use good terminology and we understand the nature of God. So God took him away doesn't mean that he, he died. He means he was taken off this planet. And I love this, because he, he walks with God, and he gets to go to heaven early without dying. Woo! By the way, by the way, there's a very good chance that you and I are going to get to do the same thing. Because Jesus is definitely returning soon. And when he does, it's, the Bible tells us that those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together with all those others who have died before in the Lord, and we'll be with them for in the, we'll meet him in the air, and we'll be together with the Lord forever. So it's a very good chance, and I hope it's in my lifetime, that us in this room will experience an Enoch moment. Whoosh! Jesus is coming soon. So Enoch walked with God, gets to go to heaven early. Noah walks with God, and now he and his family get spared. Later on, Abraham walks with God and becomes the father of nations. I just think God likes it when his people walk with him. I really do. This is the goal for mankind, after all. It was way back in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, as Adam and Eve uh, sinned, and they were hiding, remember this? And God came to them, and he began to speak to them. And, in, uh, and it says, uh, you, you know, he, he used to come and walk with them in the garden. He used to come and walk with them, and he wanted to do that, but the sin cut us off from him. But I love it in 2 Corinthians 6, 16 and 17. It says, and as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and I will be, uh, they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. I think God wants us to walk with Him, and He wants to walk with us. And He's ready to do that right now. So be righteous, amen? amen. Be blameless, walk faithfully with God, and here comes the bonus. Are you ready for the bonus? Yeah. Well, you may have guessed where I'm going with this, but be ready. You've got to be ready. Be ready. In Luke 17, 26, Jesus reaches back to the story of Noah, and he connects uh, his story with our story back in Genesis. Reading from uh, Luke 17, 26, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating Drinking, marrying, being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. You know, I used to read that list, and I thought, oh, those wicked people. Eating and drinking and marrying, being given in marriage. What wicked people? And then the Holy Spirit kind of tapped on my shoulder. So what's wrong with that? You're doing all that stuff. I was was like shocked because I thought that was going to be a list of the rotten things they were doing. Right? But it isn't a list of the... It was just like... They were just doing stuff. They were, they, you know, they, they were eating and drinking, marrying, and those are normal things. Those are the things we're all doing right now. They were doing, here's the point. They were doing normal things, and the flood came. Okay? It's they're, they're just doing what they've always done, going through life, living through life, and then suddenly the end comes. Make no mistake, I said it before, but I'm going to say again. Jesus is coming soon. He's coming soon. Now we continue reading. In the It was the same in the days of Lot. If you remember, the story, it's a little bit different story. Rather than the whole earth being destroyed, we're talking about the destruction of a city. And uh, it, it's, if we continue reading in the verse, it says, it was the same in the days of Lot. This is Jesus speaking. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. You might think, you know, again, you say, oh, those awful people. What? That's just good stuff. I mean, we're doing all of us are doing that stuff right now. But he says, "But the day that Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven to destroy them all." These are normal, everyday things, and we know from other passages that there was sin and evil going on in Sodom and Gomorrah for sure, and there was sin and evil going on in the time of Noah for sure. But I don't think sin or sinning is what gets to God and causes Him to get to a place where He has to shut the thing down. I don't think that's the problem with God. I think what it is is that God is looking for a people, all right? That will be His people on the earth. He's, He's. I, I, I think it is not those things. I don't think it's the sinner sinning. I think it's when the church and the people of God become apathetic and begin to disregard God's people, uh, you know, uh, own people together with the, uh, there's the sin that brought the judgment. Does that make sense? In other words... They're looking around us, and it's kind of the frog in the kettle. Uh, just going along with everything. The heat keeps turning up around us. goes back to Smith Wigglesworth, you know, his uh, thing that he said, saying, wow. See, listen, when it got to the place, there was only one righteous person left on earth, Noah. It doesn't even say his wife and kids were righteous, although they helped him build the ark, so we've got to say there's probably something to that. But uh, we don't know for sure, but it just says that he was, he was the only righteous man on the earth. But when it got to where there was only one left, God said, man, I've got to destroy the whole earth. Because there's only one left. Because then there would have been none after his generation. When it got to where there was only one righteous man in, left in the city of Sodom, and by reading about Lot, you may not think he's a righteous man, but Second but Peter tells us that he is. It says, when one righteous man was left in Sodom, God steps in and says, that's enough. God, listen, God had, you think, oh, he destroyed all those people. No, God had mercy on future generations that were, that were going to be growing up in Sodom. God had mercy that that kind of horrible sin that mistreated children and women and all kinds of things would be stopped so that could not continue anymore because there was only one righteous man left and he had to go. What's it going to take to make a difference? It's going to take the church. It's going to take the people of God. All of us being ready, being prayerful, being the people of God that we're supposed to be. God, listen, this is what I'm trying to get at with this last thing, is that God says it this way, if my people, He doesn't say if the whole world gets saved, He says if my people, who are called by my name, catching this, will humble themselves and pray, and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, and cleanse their sin and heal their land. We look around us in America, we think, man, this land needs to be healed. You know, the answer isn't to change the sinners, it's that the Christian people, it's the believers, that we would step into that place and we would call out to Him in prayer and humble ourselves and turn from our wicked ways. And when we begin to do that, we will change the nation. We will change the nation. In Jesus' name, I believe it with my whole heart. We could, you, you, I, this whole sermon has been, how can we make a difference? That's how we get to make a difference. By turning from our wicked ways, and and as, as Aaron, he didn't know what I was preaching on today, but he nailed, did you hear the connection there when he was talking about that or the same exact thing? So good, so good. Worship team, come on back up. So, okay, looking back over my life, I don't regret my witness in high school at all. The people I even used to think were like the popular people in school. I only went to one uh, reunion, the, the 20th, and I had to laugh literally to myself and out loud at times at how the people who were so cool back then were not so much now, and they, but they were still trying to be cool. You know what I'm saying? And it was like so hilarious. I, in fact, we had this one gal there. Uh, uh, her name was Dawn Dewey. And uh, she was just a sweet girl. And... Uh, uh, we we had a in our little bitty town there was a little uh, county not a county fair but a city fair kind of a thing and it was called the melon festival and uh, every year we would elect the melon queen and at one point she, she she was sharp I liked this girl but she stood up this 20 year reunion she stood up in the midst because everybody was talking about all their accolades and all the things they'd accomplished in life and she said she stood up proudly and says I was once the melon queen <laughs> and I love I was like yes that's perfect. <laughs> Like, stop putting on it. Stop acting like that. I don't look back with regret at any of that stuff. I don't. I don't think there's anything. I, you know, and if if I regret anything, it's that I wasn't stronger and wiser in my worship. I wish I wish somebody had taken me aside and taught me how to really witness. I th- I wish I'd have asked somebody, hey, what's what's a good way to go about this instead of just blundering into it. But I don't regret my witness, and 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 I don't regret um, maybe even. Some of the things I said that maybe put people off a little bit. Because i got to tell you that years later, I would have people from high school, maybe not even in my grade, contact me and let me know, hey, I want you to know, Sal, I wasn't a Christian back then, but the stuff you said meant something to me, and I gave my life to Christ, and I just felt like I needed to tell you. Several of these people talked to me later. I had one guy in particular who came to me, and he said, he, he, I thought he was already a believer, and I, I, it's confusing how the story went. But anyway, something about my witness, whether he rededicated his life or something, I don't really know. But all in all, he, he came to me years later and said, thank you for your witness, for your boldness. It, it changed my life, and he ended up becoming a pastor in Southern Oregon. I have another guy who was in a grade below me. His name was Lance. Great, great guy. Uh, years later, he came to me. Your witness meant so much to me. He said, you know, uh, I just decided I was going to live all in for the Lord. I was going to be bold in my faith. This guy ends up being a missionary to Mongolia of all places. Right? So how, how can I regret any of that? That's fantastic. I'm not taking credit for that. God gets the glory. But I'm just saying they were saying something about the way I live my life. As an example, I made a difference in their lives. I just want to implore you and say to you, all of us can make a difference in the people around us. We can. It's not too late. Even some of us are pretty old now. But, you know, it's not too late to be a bold witness for Christ. Let me finish with one more somewhat lengthy verse, a few verses here out of Second Peter. He kind of sums the whole thing up. Peter says this, he says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness. This speaks of the demons that that left heaven. Putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. And he concludes it all, he says, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from the trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. God knows how to hold you through these times. God knows how to take care of you. And if God would do all that stuff in the past, he will help us to step up like Lot did, like Noah did. So it's back to school for all of us, whether you like it or not, we're going back to school. Let us learn how to trust in the Lord with lives that are righteous, lives that are blameless, walking with God in faithfulness and being ready to give an answer for the reason that's within us and ready to go be with the Lord the day He comes. Are you ready for all that? Sound good? Amen. Thank you for listening to Praise Center's Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit praisecenteronline.com.